Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Hello, listeners, and thanks for joining us again on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Today, we have Emily Francis from Guatemala. Welcome. Bienvenida, Emily. Ah, muchas gracias, Guatemala. I like that accent. It's not Guatemala, right? <laughs> right, yeah. No, I do speak Spanish. I lived in Mexico and studied Spanish for a number of years, so I love to show the due respect. But at times, I understand some people just don't have the knowledge, and so they try their best, and, and we give grace in that sense as well. Of course, of course. It just feels good to hear the, the correct pronunciation. <laughs> So tell us, Emily, a bit, introduce yourself to our listeners, where you're from, a little bit about your personal, professional life and your story. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you for the space. Thank you for the time, you know, as immigrants, it's having these opportunities to come by. They don't come by as often. So when they do, uh, we do appreciate them. And this is just a space for me to share my immigrant experience, what I'm doing now here in the United States. And so I'm grateful for this. But I'm Emily Francis. First name is Astrid, but I go by Emily, my middle name. I am a high school ESL teacher. I teach English as a second language here in Concord, North Carolina. This is my 11th year teaching ESL, my fifth year at the high school level. I had to travel across the country teaching teachers how to better serve our immigrant population. So I love what I do, and I'm happy now to be sharing about my book. So thank you for having me. Awesome, and welcome again. And tell us what's the name of your book, and we'll discuss it as we go along in the conversation today. Yeah, the book, it's called If You Only Knew Letters from an Immigrant Teacher is published by Silence Education. I did receive a copy of it and did a little initial browse and review and it looks quite intriguing. Mm -hmm. I do have a bit of experience working with someone who was in your position where I, I worked with uh, some children who came in and, and helped to get them connected with families here in the U.S. So I completely honor your journey and I get it. It's a difficult one. So we look forward to hearing more today. Tell us, Emily, what is the journey and, and the story and what brings you here to the United States? My mother brought me here. I was 15 years old when she made the decision to bring me and my siblings here to the U.S. So I was born in, in, in Guatemala. You, you know, if you don't know anything about Guatemala, it's a beautiful country. You know, there's beautiful areas, but at the same time that you have beautiful areas, you have areas of poverty. And it is one of the a world that country that has a severe poverty. And we, I lived it, lived it for 15 years, you know, years without um, having something to eat or without having opportunity to go to school because I had to help my mother with the family business. There was a balance, you know, my mother tried to make sure that we had a good childhood. She provided shelter the best she could. She provided fun for us and opportunities for us to go to school. I have four siblings, three sisters and a brother. And my mother is a single mom with five children, and she did the best that she could to make sure that she was keeping us alive and existing in the world that we lived in. And we were all very close. We played together. We cooked together. You know, so many memories as a family in Guatemala were, you know, we tried to do the best that we could. And, um, uh, you know, school was something that was a high priority in our family, even though we couldn't attend every day. 
education was something that my mother worked so hard for us to to obtain. Um, the sixth grade was the highest level of education I was able to obtain in Guatemala just because I was retained several years. You know, I had to uh, miss school for working at the market selling oranges or I had to be home with the little siblings. And so obtaining a sixth grade level education in Guatemala, it's, it's, it's a high steam, you know, obtaining the high school that consider a high school diploma. It's, it's, um, it's an honor. So I'm, I'm glad I was able to achieve that. But I was 12 years old when my mother made the decision to come here to the U.S. to to find a job, to make some money so she can go back to Guatemala, build us a, our own little house and shelter. And so I stayed back home with my siblings. And uh, that's a, a, that's a two-year journey that I lived without my mother, but living the journey as a mother myself, you know, as a teenager, just having to do all the responsibility that a mother would do. Um, so during those two years, my mother was here in the U.S. as an immigrant and undocumented, doing the best that she could, cleaning houses, taking care of kids, and doing just anything that she could do to save money. But and then instead of going back to Guatemala, she decided to to bring us here to the U.S. And that's where a world of change for me. Sounds like you are the oldest yes I am the oldest yes right okay I get that I can relate to I'm the oldest sibling as well and so I know that comes with responsibility and so forth right you can see a little bit farther than the others coming behind you so what was it like in those first few years Emily like how did you all adjust I don't know if you're able to tell us about how did you make it from Guatemala coming here because we know it's you know it can be difficult for some children connecting back with their families when they've been living alone like how did you work it out are you able to say of course yes I mean it was difficult having that separation you know once I started here going to college and learning about the science behind what we experienced Science says that that family separation causes in the brain the same stimulus sensation as family loss. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I didn't know that, but we tried to keep that relationship strong. You know, we didn't have back in 1992, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have Instagram, you know, we didn't have a way to see each other. And calling over the phone was just too expensive. So we stayed connected through letter writing. You know, we would write letters to mom explaining how our day was and what we cooked for dinner, you know, what happened at church or any gossips that I had about my siblings. And she will write back, you know, how her day was and how her job was going. And we stayed in contact. So we have hundreds of letters that we wrote back and forth. And I think that maintained that relationship strength between our mother and ourselves, because I have had friends whose family, whose parents had left Guatemala and they have lost contact. They have, you know, they stopped sending money. And and, and I was warned by some of my friends, oh, your mama's going to forget about you. She's going to have another family and she's going to stop sending money. But when she started making the plans for her to bring us here to the U.S., That's when I I knew that my mother was, you know, she meant business. She wanted us to be together. She wanted the best for us. And she knew that her going back to Guatemala was not what was going to do what was best for us. And so she brought us here and, you know, not having the financial means to, to go to immigration and ask for the proper documentation to come here. She hires a smuggler. So with the money she had saved, she paid someone who was recommended, you know, someone that we could trust and exchange hope for money. And But that journey was just for me and my two younger sisters. My two little sister and my sister and brother's dad did not want the kids to travel that way through land and with a coyote, a smuggler. So he brought them. So in a matter of a few days, they were here with mom. But for me and my two younger sisters, for Leslie and Lisbeth, it was a matter of getting in a vehicle with someone who all we knew about 
was that he had received an amount of money and he was going to bring us here to the U.S. and be reunited. You know, as a 15-year-old, there's so much going on in your in your head when you think, you know, okay, you're about to get in a vehicle with a total stranger. There was a mixture of hope. There was a mixture of, okay, I'm going to be with mom. I'm going to the United States. And then there's some excitement. But at the same time, there was fear. You know, I was technically the guardian of two little girls. And I just, you know, I'm thinking, what am I going to do if something happens? And how am I going to protect them? And we get in that vehicle. And I do remember several nights when we were in different hotels and I will wait for them to fall asleep until I fell asleep, trying to protect them, trying to make sure that they were okay. And it was a, a strength and a knowledge that came out of I'm not sure where it came from, but it was a very difficult transition. We lost contact with mom, so she had no idea what had happened to us. We couldn't communicate with her just because we were visiting several other places that couldn't be told about. So it was two months, two months of journey through Guatemala, through Mexico, and until that January of 1994 that we get on that plane to come here to the United States. And, and of course, we have this documentation that is not, you know, it's false documentation. And there's that fear that, am I going to get caught? Am I going to, are they going to notice that that's not, that information is not mine in the passport, you know? And, and I was scared. I do remember turning in that passport with that information that I had practiced in my head about the name and the age and but uh, we get busted. And right there in the airport, I started experiencing what it is for um, immigration not to want <laughs> undocumented immigrants here in the country, you know, go back to Guatemala. Where's your mom? You need to, we need to send you back and getting those fingerprints to be deported is an experience that I, I can relate with many of my students. getting chilled just listening walking with you because you were like 12 years old right by then I was already um, 15 because my mother left when I was 12 almost 13 so we stayed two years in Guatemala so by the time I came here I was already 15 years old my mind goes to something you said earlier about some parents forgetting about their children. Can right. you give us a sense for what the environment in Guatemala is like? How widespread is it in your community? Just give Because people don't know, you know what I mean? There's nobody that's sharing the truth of what its life is like on the ground, why you would, a parent would make such a decision. And it has to be quite serious for a mother to leave her daughters. I can imagine, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, as a mother myself, I don't, you know, just making plans to go across the country to go do a presentation and leaving my daughter behind. It's just like, ah, that separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine her making that choice, knowing how much she loves her children. I mean, she would play with us. She would make sure we had food. She would make sure. I mean, I we knew her love. We knew how much she cared for us. And but it gets to a point that really families make the decision that is that drastic because if they don't, they could face death or, you know, family could really die of starvation or that's how difficult it is. I, that Those days when she made that decision, I do remember we didn't have enough food for all of us to eat. It was the little kids eating and you know, maybe chicken feed or <laughs> rice and tortillas. That that was just not enough. She she didn't have enough for rent. You can I could tell that it was that point where a breaking point where she couldn't provide for her family. And and, and they know that here in the United States are opportunities, even if it's cleaning uh, toilets. Yeah, that's that's a job, something that they cannot have in Guatemala. And I mean, she tried. I remember her looking for jobs and trying to do the best that she could. And, and there was just no work available with her not having the education either, because third grade was the highest level of education she achieved. So she didn't have the skills to to go to an office or to do any other type of jobs. I remember even when she came here to the U.S., 
she would still have to practice how to work under an employer because she has never done that. She has always worked, had her own business. She's always done whatever she could, not having a boss to respond to. So that's something even she had to practice. And in Guatemala, there's many people like that. They had their own business. They grow their own food so they can sell it. And again, for my mother to make that decision, it was because, and there was a combination. I think she knew, she trusted that we were enough to stay together, that I had the knowledge enough and the love enough to stay with the siblings that she could leave and and do the work here that she needed to do in Guatemala. And there was no one that that could, my mom could trust that to help us over there. Even my own my own father, he, you know, he was not in the picture of he was, <laughs> you know, when I met him for the first time, he was drunk. So it's mm-hmm. not like I can even even count on on that father figure. So I'm just wondering, you know, mo- right most in the recent memory, you unaccompanied children from. Guatemala, which it sounds like you guys, uh, were you officially classified as an unaccompanied child, a group of you children? Yes, because we were all under 16, I think, and we were with someone unknown. Yeah. Right. Okay. So then you go over into the U.S. government takes custody of you and they provide housing until they're able to connect you to family, right? Exactly. We didn't quite experience that just because the intervention of my grandmother. So right before I was claimed by the ice house or the place where they hold undocumented immigrants, my grandmother, who lives here in the United States as a U.S. citizen, found out that we were about to be deported and she intervenes, brings the proper documentation. And so I was able to stay here through her claiming us. So there was a part of the immigration detention that I didn't experience. Um, That's something that I hear from my students and I hear from the media, but that's not something I was able to experience myself due to the intervention of my grandmother. Well, fortunately, thankfully. So you were not in custody for any long period of time. She she was able to get you all out fairly quickly and then you were with family. Yes, it was right there that same day. It was just a day of, you know, questioning where's mom and with fingerprints and going back, back and forth. Uh, but yeah, that evening, my grandmother shows up. I mean, I knew her. She had come to Guatemala to visit a, a time or two, but there was no, we didn't have a relationship. There was no connection there. Uh, so I, I, we recognized her, but we weren't sure what was happening. Um, it was later explained to us that. As a U.S. citizen, she was able to claim her daughter and her grandkids. And uh, so through her, we were able to stay here with the opportunity to claim for a green card and be able to stay here in the U.S. Wow, that's amazing. Thank God for that opening, right? So is that your mom's mother or your father's mother? my mom's mom. Yes. 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 And that's a whole different story to tell. But, you know, my mother was separated from her mother since she was very little. And so she didn't grow up with her mother. And we knew she existed. We knew she lived here in the U.S., but that's really an extent of the family knowledge. Situations can be complicated at times, and it's hard for children to make sense of it, you know? So you move and you're now with your grandmother. What was it like then adjusting? Did you speak any English? I'm wondering, like, how did you all communicate? No, 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 no. In our countries, I think the only opportunity you ever have to learn some English would be like private schools. Or I do remember my little sister when she was in preschool, her dad had money. So I ended up putting her in a preschool that it was private. She, she was learning English. And I was like, man, what a privilege. But that's not something I experienced. And so, you know, OK was the only thing I knew when I started. There was a minimum culture shock just because it was New York City. And so everywhere you looked around, you know, there were people from other countries. It wasn't just it was an area where it Floral Park, New York was just a beautiful area with so diverse a population here and there that I felt like I was comfortable. I didn't feel threatened 
of my identity in that moment. I felt I felt okay. Yeah, and we lived in my mother, my grandmother's house, which that shelter in itself felt safe. She took us to the local, you know, school and we enrolled in school and in language, of course was hard but at the same time there were so many kids from Colombia Venezuela Chile that <laughs> I was able to use my home language to to make friends but and then the academic piece in the English language is when it started getting hard for me so I'm wondering whatever happened to the coyote right <laughs> that brought you guys apart I the that too. <laughs> what happened to him I, I wonder what, I don't know. The last thing we saw, he was just, you know, taken by, we saw him in handcuffs and he was just taken by several agents. And I'm like, oh, that's it. We're next. You know, we just thought we were going to be next. I, I, that, that's the chance that the coyotes take, right? Uh, that he'll get busted or not. <laughs> and then what happens after that? I don't know. Right. And you were a young child too. You probably just moved on. And at what point did you see mom? Did you have a number for her? How did they find your grandmother? I'm just wondering, how did you guys communicate and get in contact with grandma? Right. So that same day, after two months of her not knowing anything, what had happened to us, that same day, she gets a phone call to wait, you know, a JF Kennedy that we were arriving a specific hour. So when she sent someone to pick us up, and they kept waiting and waiting and waiting and we never came out. That was the hint that we had gotten busted. And okay, okay. And yes, yeah. No one you, no one knew anything until they noticed that we didn't come out. That's how they had to get a hold of grandma and and grandma uh, was able to uh, come there. But um it's, it's a blessing, you know, and even even today, yeah, I'm in contact with her and I graduated. I sent her, you know, a copy of of my graduation pictures and all of that, because it's something I had to be grateful for. She she opened an opportunity, a door of opportunity for me and my family, for sure. Right. And it was just like the, the stars colliding because you guys left out not even knowing that grandma was going to be that savior. And it totally worked out because I know uh, of stories of other unaccompanied children are, you know, not in the possession of their guardians or parents is what I mean when I say unaccompanied, but they're assisted sometimes by someone else. They don't really have anybody who shows up and they stay in custody of the government for months, weeks, months. months even longer, right? Years. And so it was a blessing that that just the stars just aligned for you guys. And you were, you found safety, you know, within a few hours or a day or two. Right, right. And that's something that, of course, because that was the extent of my immigrant experience, then I have to, to read about it. I have to ask students. I have to make those connections that way because I don't have the experience of what it is to be you know, an icebox or what it is to just spend months without that relative and being apprehended. That's something that I had to learn from my students and not the privilege that I have not experienced that. But at the same time, there's some other things that I do ex- had experience, you know, being in the, the coyote and not knowing what's going to happen the next day. Uh, there's so many things that my students and I have in common that just the apprehension of immigration. That's just another phase of the immigrant journey. Right. And so what are some of the stories then, as you bring that up, that you are sharing in your book? And and what are some of the trauma or other experiences that the children are sharing with you after having come through several countries at times to make it to the U.S., I know that there are very severe experiences such as rape and otherwise. Like, what are some of the stories that you're hearing? You know, there were so many stories with her right before because I've shared with my friends, hey, I'm going to the United States with my mom, you know, sharing all that excitement. And then the stories come up. You need to be careful because so-and-so made it halfway and this is what happened, you know. So, again, that that fear before I get into that vehicle of those stories that I have heard and collected in, in, in the community make you want to you know, hesitate getting into that car but I think hope wins over that fear. 
And just the whole being reunited with mother went so with the fear of, okay, let's go into this hotel. Let's go into this other hotel. And, you know, we saw people going in and out and we can read in their faces with the same hope that we were holding on to, that you had paid a stranger for them to, to bring you over across countries. And thank goodness we were protected. You know, I, I don't have any terrific stories to, to share, you know, any ugly stories to share because they did take really good care of us. We were children and they knew we were children by ourselves. And the Coyote's wife was there with us along the way. As a matter of fact, I have one picture where we were traveling through Mexico with the Coyote's wife and she was there with us. She'll take us to the market, you get something to eat and, you know, get to see, you know, sightseeing around Mexico waiting while the paperwork was being done. And we were definitely taken care of really well. That person was recommended by someone my mother knew and, and thank goodness we were safe. Um, so the stories I have are others such as, you know, I was walking around the streets of Mexico with my with my sisters and we get to a point where there's a beautiful Mexican monument. And at that point, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know the extent of the beauty. I mean, I just knew it was is a beautiful, iconic monument. I'm staring at this monument thinking, what am I doing here? You know, I felt like it was a waste of time. I felt like I, I wasn't at a place where I needed to be. And it, it just felt like the universe was putting me in a spot that that I didn't need to be. But little did I know that 25 years later, I'm standing at the very same spot as a teacher leader from North Carolina with 42 teachers sharing the immigrant experience and what it is to be walking around those streets by yourself, longing to be with family on the other side and hadn't paid a stranger to come and be reunited with family and and those, that's where I, I get to learn that our experiences that we live as, as kids and as teenagers, that immigrant journey, those experiences that we go through are building us, are building our identity, are building who we are and strengthening for later to be those leaders that we become in society. And I really didn't learn that until I was an adult and standing at that spot, I had a little deja vu. I'm like, I've been here. Like I was standing here as a 15 year old, you know, going to the market with my sisters, experiencing Mexican food, which was new for us and chasing squirrels. You know, those were the stories that I can share with, with my students and uh, versus the students' stories that they share with me, you know, how they were apprehended by INS and and they were they were treated horribly, they were cold, they were hungry, and they walked several hours in the desert. See, I have I didn't experience that. And I love hearing that from my students. And they feel like they are compelled to share that with me because I have stories to share, maybe not as drastic as their stories. But because I share my own, they feel compelled to share their stories with us. And some of the stories sometimes make us cry. You know, we're in the classroom learning about reading and writing, and then we're bawling because of our experiences become so raw and so true in that moment that it heals. It begins to, to heal those wounds that we kept closed for so long. Who would have thought that your mom's stepping out to provide for her family, you guys having the two years separated, then coming here, not knowing what would happen, stars align, you meet with grandma, and now later it seems to have become mm -hmm. your life work, right? You're now traveling, you're telling the stories, you're being that space for these children to to share their trauma and to find healing. Can you imagine? Never in a million years, you know, even when I started contemplating going back to school and, and having a profession and wanting to be a teacher, I never really thought I was going to use everything that I had experienced, you know, everything I'd lived to be able to guide not just students, but also teachers to help them deal with this. Because, you know, I was that 15 year old who entered that classroom with 
all of that experience in me, you know, that trauma that you have to pack away because now you're in school and then you have to learn, you have to read, you have to write, you have to do math. So in that moment, as a 15 year old, you start packing away all of that experience thinking, okay, I'm going to leave all that behind and kind of start fresh and start over. But that's dangerous. You know, that's something I was forced. I, I felt like I was forced to do to forget what I had lived for 15 years and start afresh. And I don't want my students to feel like that. I don't want my students to feel like, okay, I'm here now, I'm wiping my hands off and starting fresh. No, I think our life continues once we get here as an immigrant and we continue to develop the identity that we already built as growing up in another country, as immigrants, as crossing over borders and reuniting with family, all of that built on to the new life we are about to begin here in the U.S. So my students, when they come here, I, you know, I, I have them embrace their love for their country, love for the language. Keep on speaking your home language. Let's learn using your home language. Don't forget who you are because who we are it's building upon what we are going to become here in the U.S. So, so true, right? You have to know who you are, know your history, and then stand on that firmly, right? Because, you know, I've come across people who appear to be kind of lost in trying to figure out who they are, searching, searching. But yeah. part of it could be that they've let go of whatever that foundation that they were born in and then they go searching after it. I mean, I've heard of stories of people who've been adopted or who were given up as children. And no matter where they go in life, it seems that they go back to search for those roots. So exactly. it's so important, right? Yes. I mean, it's part of us. You you can't, you know, I mean, think of a flower, you know, it blooms and becomes this beautiful flower. But as soon as you cut it, what happens? <laughs> it begins to die because it's part of the root, it's part of the stem, it's part of the soil. So the same thing with us, you know, I it, we have to continue growing, build upon those roots that our ancestors, the pathway that our, our parents and grandparents made for us. And, and, and don't be ashamed of that. You know, so many of my students don't want to talk about it. So many of my, my students' parents don't want to share their own immigrant experience. And that those are some barriers that I'm breaking because it's important for children to know how is it that their parents made it here? Because now you have a great life here in the U.S., but it wasn't easy. Someone made it here somehow, somewhere, and started building that foundation for us to build a life here in the U.S. And so it's important to recognize those who made that path for us, before us. And then part of, you know, my observance of the younger generation, I find that they become so lost. The U.S. is probably one of the only country around the world well, you can probably find someone from every country, the 195 countries, right? Oh. Or the 193. Nice. There, I don't know that there's any one country that has just a mix of so many people. And so in order for you to stand and survive, you have to know who you are and the value that you bring to the table. Because I tell you, when you go out there and you interact with other people who are sure of who they are, they know what they bring to the table. And they have the confidence to flourish in such a diverse setting. You need that foundation, right? To stand, to know who you are, to be comfortable in who you are and to know what you bring to the table. Otherwise, a lot of our young people just become so lost in not knowing who they are. And people tell them who they are and they sometimes are not themselves, you know? Yeah, because you start building an identity that is not yours. You, you're forced to build something new versus building really who you, upon who you you have already started building. You know, that identity that you bring from other countries is rich. It's beautiful. And all we have to do is develop it and, and share that beauty with, with others. Because um, what happens is when we start hiding it away, we begin to assimilate and we don't want a country to be where we're all the same. <laughs> we're all, no, we don't want that. 
we want that beauty of diversity. We want to maintain that. So it's, it's important to have our, our students have that mindset of it's okay to have that difference, celebrate their uniqueness. And the beauty of that is that when you have all these countries coming together, there's so many ideas and similarities that come out once you start talking to somebody. Oh, we call like I've come across throughout my travels and being exposed to other cultures that there's so many countries around the world that have some version of using flour and dough in the Native American community. They have fry bread in the Caribbean. We have Johnny cake or Johnny Kekis or uh, or fried dumplings. The Chinese, the uh, Asian community, they have some fried dumpling word. Then you have non in the Indian community. Then you have, there's so many different words for using the same thing. Yes. Or we we figure out just so many different ways are, of innovation that exists in different environments. And once they come together here in the U.S., I think that's what makes this country so rich with innovation is Absolutely. because you have so many different people coming from different experiences around the world. And then there's the environment for that to come to life and the innovation to come to life. And it improves the way we live, you know, yeah. because it's not possible in other places. I agree. I agree. I'm wondering now, as we move along, when you you went to school, you started trying to move forward in your life. How did you get to where you are today and um, what were some challenges that came along, some opportunities that get you to be Emily Emily Francis that you are today? <laughs> you know, that's another reason why I do what I do is because from that day forward going to that Martin Van Buren High School, my experience through school was very difficult, not just because of the English language, but in then because as an adult, I do see that 15-year-old having to pack away, you know, her own experiences. I never, in four years, three and a half years that I was there on that campus, I never, never had the opportunity to share my experience. No one ever asked me, where are you from? What did you live? Tell me about your home country, you know, draw a flag, something. Never. And, and it's very difficult to think back, how is it that as a teacher, you engaged with an immigrant student and never even asked a question about, you know, to have that relationship with that kid? I just, it's, for me, it's impossible. I, I have so many immigrant students and I go above and beyond to make sure that they are being comfortable, that they feel like they belong, that they everybody knows who they are. And that experience that I lived hindered me. It really hurt me because I learned the language. I mean, they wanted me to learn English. I learned it. I mean, about a year and a half, I was fluent enough to be in economics and American history classes and, you know, taking all the courses that I needed to graduate. I obtained 42 credits enough for graduation. I didn't pass the American history test and that region's exams is required in, in New York City. And not passing that just was the reason for me to drop out and not be able to graduate. That Again, that's another immigrant student experience that hurt me. It really made me go out in society feeling like a failure, like I had given what I thought was 100% and it wasn't good enough. You know, I felt like I was, wasn't capable to do anything. I was, I didn't have the self-esteem to go and apply for a job. I, I, I felt like I wasn't efficient enough to do anything good enough in society. I feel like a failure. I feel like even though I had learned the English language, I didn't reach the level enough to, to reach that American dream that I wanted, which I've always wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to go straight from high school to college. I wanted to become a teacher. Golly, I knew I could be a really good teacher. I mean, I've done it with my siblings. <laughs> I figure if I took care of those kids, why couldn't I take care of other kids? I didn't know what it was to be a teacher, but deep in my heart, it's a profession that I've always wanted to do. And 
and just walking down the streets in New York feeling like I wasn't part of humanity. Uh, it, it was sad. I know I got a job. Uh, I was already working again. While I wasn't going to school, I got a part-time job uh, at a supermarket. I was already as like a cashier. So I just applied for the full time and I stayed hidden behind a register, scanning groceries. Um, and I do remember several times hearing that beep every time I scan a milk or, you know, carton of eggs. And that beep was a constant reminder of that failure, a constant reminder that my mother had brought me here to the United States of America. And there I was in a grocery store scanning groceries, which I mean, is a job. It paid my bills. I got an apartment. It paid my rent. It paid my insurance, my car. But I didn't feel like I was contributing to society. I didn't feel like I was part of humanity. I didn't feel like my potential was really being used. I got pregnant, you know, I was 21. I just had to get out of New York City. So I moved here to the Carolinas. An aunt offered me a place here and I moved here. I had my baby and here am I trying to find a decent job because now I have a child here in this world and I wanted to break family cycles and I didn't. I ended up having a child, you know, out of wedlock like my mother did. And just those poverty cycles were continuing and I was supposed to break those cycles. I was supposed to be different because my mother worked so hard for me to do it. And I apply for jobs thinking maybe I can work at a bank. Maybe I can, you know, do something different. But I didn't have a high school diploma. And that was rubbed in my face everywhere I went. Oh, you need a high school diploma. You need a high school diploma. Until someone mentioned a GED, something that I no one had ever told me that. I wish the principal had called me. I wish I got his counselor or my ESL teacher would have called me and say, hey, you know, there are other ways. And I never heard anything like that. Mm. So I go to a community college. I, I hear all about the GED in, in about six months. I, yeah, I get a GED and that made me feel like, hey, you know, I was capable to achieve this. I just don't think the school did enough for me to, to prove my potential. And, and that GED gave me the strength to say, you know, with a GED, I can work in a school. I mean, I know how to clean. So I'm going to apply to, to work as a custodian because I want to be something different. And I just thought that working at a school as a custodian was going to give me that job opportunity. And, and I applied. But instead of being interviewed for a custodian, I was interviewed by a teacher who needed an assistant. And I go in that job interview, I, first, before I showed up to the interview, I had to go to the mall and get me a nice shirt because I didn't even own anything nice. <laughs> I never had to go to an interview. And, it, you know, I show up with the best outfit I could, but I wanted to be transparent. I showed up to that interview, like making them know that I knew who I was. I knew I was a failure. I knew I wasn't capable for anything. And I wasn't going to portray a picture of someone I was not. I was applying for a custodian because I knew how to clean. And that was it. That was the extent of the confidence I had in me. It wasn't until the teacher who interviewed me leaned over on that table and asked, Emily, tell me your story. It was 2004, 10 years after I had arrived as an immigrant here in the United States. And it was the first time ever someone had shown interest of my story. Not who I, you know, what I, what I thought I was or who the school had labeled me as, but my story. And really, my story was all based on Guatemala and my journey here to the U.S. as an immigrant and as a drop from high school. I mean, that, that was it. But in that moment, as I'm sharing these experiences, I begin to realize the potential in that story. She leans over and she says, you've got what it takes. 
And I get that job as a teacher assistant and I begin working with children, something that I never thought I was capable to do. And that gave me, you know, she took me, Angie Power took me under her wing and I enrolled and get an associate's degree. It took me three years, but, you know, as an ELL, as an English language learner, that's something that we struggle with (laughs) for the rest of our lives. You know, we got to watch out for the accent. We got to watch out for pronunciation. We got to watch out for those content words. And it's something that we struggle with and it's okay. I embrace that. It took me years. I enrolled in 2004 at a community college to get a an associate's degree. And as a teacher assistant, I was required to, to drive a bus. So I was driving a school bus in the morning, a teacher assistant all day, and then I drive a bus in the afternoon. And then I had to go to school in the evening. And of course, I was raising my child. By then, I had met my husband. So I, I was I had that support who he adopted my son. And we I had that family support, of course. And my mother was in town, too. So she helped me all throughout my school years and Getting that associate's degree, crossing over that stage was my first biggest accomplishment here in the U.S. And that gave me the strength to apply to the University of Charlotte. And I wanted to be that that teacher that I've always wanted to dream. And again, you know, as an English language learner, those tests, (laughs) there's a test called the Praxis that I had to take like six times. It was so hard for me. So many barriers that English language learners or immigrant in general face here in the U.S., those huddles that we have to jump to to prove ourselves are hard. They're difficult, not impossible, but they do they do get really hard. And we halfway we can give up or we can keep fighting until we achieve those dreams. And it was finally 2012 after battles of days and days and nights and studying and working, um, I was able to obtain my license to teach English as a second language. And that's where my career began. Wow. I'm sitting here and tears are coming to my eyes because I'm following you. I'm following you on your journey and I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, this is why I started this podcast because nobody ever asked me either. And it was as I've gone through listening to people's stories, it's like I'm finding myself and I'm seeing the power of what my journey brings to the table and how many people I can help and and encourage and to say, you know, it's, oh my goodness, it's just so powerful of you're falling down and getting up again and keep hoping and then realizing the sacrifices that your mom made. And the fact that she gave you a chance, you know, and so I hope other children out there who might be hearing your story, they realize that they do have a responsibility to take advantage of this opportunity of this American dream that so many people come here for. So don't, even though you might fall, get up again and keep trying and, and let your parents know that you appreciate the sacrifices they make, you know, do whatever you can to make things better for the next generation, right? That's so powerful. Yeah, yeah. We definitely owe it to them. I think as much as I think I did it for myself and my children, because I did want, I I want to have these cycles broken. I started, you know, repeating the same family cycles of poverty, of ch- children, and but I wanted my children to break those cycles. So as much as I did it for myself and my children, I also did it to honor the sacrifice that my immigrant mother did for us. You know, I she recounts the many floors that she wipes, the many toilets, the many humiliations she went through. Um, I even visited some of those places and helped her clean some of those places. So I know what she experienced. And so when children don't know of the sacrifices in that entitlement starts kicking in, you know, and we don't want that. We want immigrant children to to realize what their parents' sacrifices is. So if any parents out there, if you have not shared your immigrant journey with your children, you need to share that. They need to know what it takes takes to, to be where you are. 
I'm really concerned about our children of immigrant parents, how they can, if they don't know these stories, right, they get lost here in this country. And I thought we need to share. As I listen to you, I'm thinking of my mom. She passed January 1, 2021, two two years now as of yesterday. You know, I wish every day that we sat down and I, I could ask her these questions. Yes, yes. You know, because I think parents, we protect our children and she was trying to protect us. She she left with so many stories and her brothers and, and sisters are now speaking, you know, our, our sister did this or our sister sacrificed this, but she never told us. And I think she just probably thought she was protecting us. Oh, yes. So don't protect your children. They need to know you need to leave the journey, the stories in them so that they have something to fall back on. When they come to the hard times, they can say, you know what? This is what mom did. And this might be hard now, but I have to carry on. Right. So you need to encourage your children by sharing those stories, whatever fabrication they might conjure up in their minds because they don't know the truth but tell them the truth it will empower them I tell you it will give them so much fire and drive to work hard and to keep going when times get rough so now you you take children overseas you're um, encouraging these ESL students to keep pushing through to learning the language and you've now published a book. So tell us, how do people find your book? How do people get connected with you who might be wanting to collaborate? They might want you to speak on another podcast or they might want you to come to their school. You know, there might be other opportunities out there. How do people find you and how do they find your book? Yeah, so my book is published through SiletEducation.com. So if you go to SiletEducation.com, you'll find the book. It's also available on Amazon. So those are the two places available right now. And uh, I have all kinds of social media, professional social media platforms. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter a lot and I'm on Instagram because that's where my students are using. So I, I use uh, Instagram and, and Facebook for my my, my friends um, who have not made the transition to Instagram and Twitter. But um, Emily Friend ESL is my Twitter handle. I do have a blog, Inspiring English Language Learners, that Wibbly.com. And I do blog about what I do, my journey as an educator. And, you know, you can email me, find me on all sorts of um, social media platforms as Emily Francis. And I'll be happy to connect with anyone. Yeah. Are you on LinkedIn as well? I am. Yes. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll look for you there. But thank you. It's been such a pleasure listening and hearing your journey. It's touched my heart and I have no doubt that others will find your journey so inspiring. We wish you so much success as you continue your journey. Oh, thanks for spending this time with us, Emily. Oh, thank you for the platform and thank you for the space and opportunity. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.